I'm Teffer. I'm Caddy. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on, and the Indigenous communities of that area. And so, the summer of... Pants being passed around for interesting, sometimes humdrum characters is coming to an end. And so it is only fitting that we dive into two movies of sisterhoods of the of sisterhoods of the sisterhood of the traveling pants. Y'all, I had not seen these movies since 2005 and 2008, respectively the years that they came out um perhaps we can get some general impressions on on i think we should speak about the movies separately uh and perhaps take on movie number one uh so sisterhood of the traveling pants uno came out 2005 summer spectacular starring the hippest teen girls of the early aughts also known as Blake Lively, America Ferreira, Rory Gilmore, <laughs> Alexis Bledel, sorry, and Amber Tamblin. Um, <laughs> I like to think of them as uh, Blake Lively, America Ferreira, Alexis Bledel, and that other one. <laughs> wow, you were not a Joan of Arcadia fan. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I. this is the only thing I had ever ever seen her in <laughs> i do think wasn't amber tamblin like considerably older than the others i think so yes like amber tamblin is like in some of them visibly older than the others but amber tamblin has so. looked like a 40 year old since like she started like let's be honest That's she fair. looks like like even as a kid in movies she looked wise beyond her years which so frankly be... works for tibby yes. it does i do think fair. like okay Visually, I think they were cast well, except for Alexis Bledel, but I understand why they cast Alexis Bledel in 2005. Because her eyes are blue and her hair is brown. (laughs) Well, and because she was Rory Gilmore. I will say, however, that while I was watching the first movie, I messaged my friend who is currently watching through Gilmore Girls and said, I am watching Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. And Alexis Bledel is just playing this character as Rory Gilmore, but more bland. <laughs> Damn. Well, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah, Lena's. Let's be honest. Like the description for Lena and for Alexis Bledel is kind of just white, um, <laughs> which is fine. Um, so I did a quick Google foo, and uh, it turns out that uh, Alexis Bledel is the oldest of the crew. 
born okay. in 1983, as opposed to the rest of uh, uh, 1981. Sorry, she's even older than me. That feels nice. So, yeah, how do we feel about this movie? I have to say, I was getting too many like Enrique Iglesias video clip references from the outfits. And I have to say the early aughts do not age well. They do not. No, no. Visually, it is not not a great time. <laughs> I is it okay if I just say this movie is just very unremarkable? <laughs> yeah, I think you like, said it all. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay, but I actually I have a spicy take. Which I think you will both disagree with. (laughs) (laughs) Which is that I was watching it and I was going, maybe 2005 fashion wasn't so bad. (laughs) Caddy Caddy is just shaking her head and scrunching her nose at me. 2005 fashion had everything I hated the most. Low rise jeans, boot cuts, crop tops, spaghetti straps, Stupid headbands that did nothing for black people. (laughs) Shoes that were oddly androgynous slash clownish at the same time. And there was uh, too much layering of clothing happening as someone who has always been fat. I just know. Um, Also, studded belts. Whoever (laughs) thought that that was cool? Sorry, Teffer. No. <laughs> no, it. I I am with you, Caddy. It's there's maybe the occasional. I'm trying to think if there were any outfits that I was like, yeah, that's good. But there are certainly ones that I was like, that is bad. Particularly the one that's in all the promo shots of the four of them walking down the street, and Lena's wearing this like long skirt <laughs> with a like long t-shirt, and it's just like it's very very bad. I I cannot believe this, but I am feeling defensive. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> so, okay. First of all, I feel like I have to put in the caveat that, like, yes, 2005 fashion was very much hinged on thinness. None of those trends are trends that look good on fat people. None of those trends are trends that would look good on me currently. They do make everybody's bodies look a little weird but the thing that i noticed which i didn't remember from 2005 fashion is that it's actually very hips focused like all of the outfits are very hips focused which is very funny because like at the time people were saying you shouldn't have a big butt at least among white people that was mainly the thing and like It's just very funny to me that it was an era of wide hips, no butt, which actually works very well for me because that is my my natural (laughs) tendency. But like I was looking at it and I was like, I was like, it is kind of like it was kind of a culture shock for me to see these four young, beautiful actresses styled in a way that made them all look like they had wide, curvy hips, which was just 45 at times. Let's be honest. Yeah. But it was just not something I remembered from 2005 because I had mm-hmm. wide curvy hips in 2005 and was horribly self-conscious about them. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just bad. Watching this, I think it gave me like it, it sparked some anxiety from my 20s that 
I just I had pushed so far down um, <laughs> that I was not at all interested in revisiting. Um, and then, oh, but then I have to admit, um, Kostas, well, <laughs> everyone in Greece, let's be honest, because eh? Greece is in 1940. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why were there so yeah. many donkeys? Why were there so many donkeys? <laughs> 2005 Greece had not yet arrived into even the 20th century. Um, everyone there is old. Everyone there is um, dirty. <laughs> like they look like they wash their laundry without soap. Like it, it's made to make them look very, um, yeah, very disheveled, very behind the times and um, gustus was 100% Mark Anthony at a couple of moments in his, like, white linen pants and, like, his sandals with, like, just one large strap. And I was just expecting him to start singing Bailamos in fake Greek because the actor who played Costas is not Greek. He just does a really good... Odd accent. <laughs> that means nothing. Accent. It means it's not a Greek accent. It just it's, it it's just it sounds like something that you might think that Greek people would sound like, but it it, it sounds nothing like Greek. Fair. Yeah, the the Greek. I think I I wrote in our group chat at one point. I messaged and said this depiction of Greece feels problematic. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know, as somebody with a large, loud Mediterranean family who I have gone to visit, they're not Greek, they're in the south of France, but I was just like, you know, my cousins love going to McDonald's and joining the French army. And like, (laughs) it's just kind of like, I was like, there is like, yes, poor rural people in the Mediterranean exist, but they're not all just yelling at each other in a small courtyard or hanging <laughs> octopus from their laundry line although Eunice did a, Eunice did a check on that apparently people do but yeah I feel like the, the scene <laughs> the scene where they're talking and Luna's grandmother Valia is just casually <laughs> tacking octopus to a drying line and it's just so funny because I feel like probably that started as her hanging up laundry and then Mm -hmm. somebody some you know up and coming young person on the production team was like you know what Greeks do you know what would make this more Greek and just like a bit more and we were getting Zorba the Greek this was like dreadful Um, donkeys they don't have any cars yeah and and I mean I think that what's hard is that Santorini is such a tourist destination and Santorini was a tourist destination in 2005 like Santorini was a tourist destination in like 1960 (laughs) and I think that this depiction that gives the impression that like if you are a uh, fancy dancy lady with traveling pants you can go to Greece and like you will be the only non-Greek there which is really kind of insulting to anyone's intelligence because we all get how tourism works to a certain extent Um, but you are right if I were Greek I'd be offended I'd be really offended because Greece is only old Mm -hmm. except for Costas and in that case Greece is a sham. And Costas is American. Yeah. 
Like, cause okay. Sorry, there Bailey. are a bunch of unnamed, mean-looking cousins that we just see in the background gossiping. Yes. Don't forget them. Yes, with their <laughs> furrowed brows and like they like they are olive skinned. And I think that it also shows like a, a class separation between Alina and the rest of her family because she yep. is like virginal at least for some time and like very pasty white skinned with like her bright pink cheeks and her big blue eyes that make her look like something I want to throw out of a window but well because they play too much on the she's just gonna eye act and just stare at you like she wants to cry and that to me doesn't work because there's no communication there um it's not I don't have nothing against Rory Gilmore she's fine whatever um but I think that there is something about like the class aspect and like Costas is clean Mm -hmm. and everybody else is dirty it's a very colonialist view of of rather quite eurocentric country <laughs> makes no sense no anyhow shall we talk about bailey not bailey the person here but bailey <laughs> yes the, the character not character not me. in the film i had i had one more thing to say building on the colonialism thing mm-hmm. because there was something i noticed watching the movie so first of all yes Alexis Bledel does not look Greek. They, 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 it was just a bizarre, I mean, no. Do you know where she's from? (sighs) Argentina. Really? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Anyway, Uh I don't think she looks Greek. But, uh, sorry, uh, the part when Costas tells her that he grew up in Chicago until he was 12 and then moved back to Greece to live with his grandparents after his parents died. But he still has a Greek accent. Um... (laughs) And then I was thinking about how Carmen mm. is half yeah. <laughs> yeah. Puerto Rican. And then I was thinking about how Eric in the books, in the movie, he's just literally just some guy. In the books, he's <laughs> half Mexican. And I was really <laughs> struck by all the people who are people of color or spicy white are like, are half. All of them are mm. half. Because they Lena were- Lena couldn't date just a Greek guy who works on his father's fishing boat. Lena can only date the Greek guy who's from Chicago and goes to the London School of Economics. Well, because she's American. Yeah. True. <laughs> also, skipping ahead to skipping ahead several books, Leo also specified half black. Yeah. Yes, and so actually depicted continues. as half black yeah. in the film, um, played by one Doctor McCarty uh, from uh, Grey's Anatomy. What Jesse? Jesse Williams. Williams. Thank you. I was going to confuse him with Jesse L. Martin, who is my Ally McBeal crush. Different story. Um, but he's there, and they don't abuse of his very light eyes too much, mm-hmm. which is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. He's Lena's other interest. And between Costos, who also looks like he's about 40. (laughs) He really does. And I know that, like, it's very superficial, but this movie is not. These are not, like, content movies. These are fun. I do think it helped that they were 17, though. Like, they're not 15 in the movie, at least. And that helps a lot Mm. of things. So, yes, we should probably move on to the other storylines because we do still have a whole other movie to talk about. (laughs) We're basically (laughs) just going to get angry at clothes again, probably. So we were going to talk about Bailey and and Manic Pixie Dying Girls, I think. True. Uh, Yes. Um, Okay, so the depiction of Bailey 
in the sisterhood of the traveling pants it carries over into the second movie whatever um that kid was annoying (laughs) yeah can we talk about that and um i have a very big problem with movies where children uh die uh of an illness that doesn't necessarily make them cough and they cough it it, it's the kind of thing that just gets under my skin because they really (laughs) invested in these young actresses to play the sisterhood and um the character of Bailey is just she's too philosophical she's too adult she's too Mm -hmm. too much like she very much just ends up being a Jesus-like figure who sacrifices herself so that Tibby can learn to have feelings and maybe not hate her mom or something and and it's 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 wild I was I was actually upset about this Mm -hmm. yeah no once again where are the parents also oh with the Bailey storyline. I don't feel that I have... I don't think I have anything new with the movie. It's just that mm-hmm. storyline still sucks. Yeah. Also, I hate that the neighbor uh, divulges so much information when Tibby goes to get Bailey. Because yeah. Bailey hasn't shown up. And the neighbor is like, oh, they're not home. I think they're at the hospital. Because, uh, but I don't know why. Because they're not doing treatment. What do you mean treatment? Treatment? She has leukemia. It's like, geez, neighbor. Take a pill. Like, take it easy. Why, why you got to spread the neighborhood gossip quite so hard? Like, it just yeah. makes it, it, it removes from the film magic that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Let's just mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. Shall we talk about how the second film makes the stories better? Yes, but I just want to touch very quickly on the very good casting of Josh Lyman from The West Wing as Carmen's dad. <laughs> mm. Because, <laughs> like, Bradley Whitford is is a, a stellar actor, and he plays his part very well, and, and you know, mm-hmm. you hate him. Um, yeah. I mean, and that is what he is good at. That is what Bradley Whitford does well. Uh, But I really enjoyed watching Bradley Whitford as Carmen's dad, especially being like outside of DC, because I could just headcanon it that he was literally Josh Lyman. And this is literally Josh Lyman's story continuation. And it is completely believable to me (laughs) that Josh Lyman has like a short marriage, a half daughter he never sees and is shitty too. (laughs) Um, the one part of his role that I thought was done really really well is when Carmen's finally you know being Carmen and parenting everybody in her life and uh, she's on the phone with him and she's finally like opening up her feelings and I really this was like a a cinema cinematography cinematography is that that's yeah that's the word cinematography moment I appreciated a lot was that through that whole conversation he's leaning his face on his hand and we don't see his face through the whole conversation and I thought that was that was like a surprisingly good touch I was like very (laughs) surprised by that very good choice in an otherwise extremely mediocre movie um but just that being like a, a visible hallmark of his shame and of his shamefulness i really Mm. liked i thought that was good i think he is a talented actor movie number two what did we love what did we hate so i do i find it slightly hilarious that the first movie just pretends that effie doesn't exist (laughs) and then they're like oh no we want to do the effie storyline though so it's really it's like the buffy the vampire slayer when they introduce (laughs) dawn 
in like season six. No context. You have a sister. What? Okay. <laughs> so there's one like j- strange choice that the movie makes that I like haven't really decided how I feel about it. Because there are ways in which I feel like it like makes parts of the storyline more believable, but also is just like weird and shitty. We're like They've changed it so the reason why Carmen is depressed, etc., is just that, like, all of the other ones have suddenly become, like, super shitty towards her for no reason that is described or defined, and I was confused. Yeah, poor Carmen. She really does not get treated well. And, yeah, poor Carmen. Thank goodness for America Ferreira. Yeah. She really saved that role, but you're right. Carmen does get super depressed. So um, the the second movie that came out in 2008 is a mashup of like, if if we're being honest, books two through four. <laughs> it's yeah, kind of yeah. it's kind of an interesting departure, but at the same time, I think that works well because mm-hmm. honestly, I don't think I could have done just Bridget and Greta. For an entire film, I would have gouged, especially <laughs> I would have gouged my eyes out with a spoon. Like it would have been just terribly boring. So much bland acting. So we kind of get like a bit of everything. Um, Tibby's hair continues to be <laughs> something. The, the green is a choice. I was so targeted by Tibby's fashion choices in this movie. <laughs> I made all of those fashion choices in 2008. It was embarrassing. (laughs) I mean, it's the queerest wardrobe ever. And if we're being honest, between Brian... Brian and Tibby have a queer relationship. Mm. Uh, (laughs) Like, it's pretty damn queer. Um, And I like to picture... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I will not bring up pegging again. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a little while. It's been it like has at least been a few weeks. All right. So um, uh, I think that they, like, I mean, yeah, I think that, that Tibby is probably a very strict top. Um, and Brian, a very compliant um, bottom. Very, very compliant. And who, like, develops a bit of a spine, but really, it's okay, Brian. <laughs> Your girlfriend is not the important sister of the sisterhood. She's just the one going through emotional turmoil. Just stick it out till 29. <laughs> but yeah, they do have huge queer energy. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mm-hmm. it's kind of impressive. Yeah. I like that they yeah, they 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 pick from all the different books, but they still could not do anything more interesting with Timmy <laughs> than than exactly the very boring storyline that's in the book. I think they made the pregnancy scare shorter. I appreciated that. The pacing made a lot more sense to me, that it was like she stressed for a few days, got her period, but then had to, like, sort of wrap her head around it. I also appreciated that there was actually consent in the sex instead of no consent. Yep. True. Um, I appreciate that Brian's real hot. I liked that. Yes. That was nice. It was, you know, nice to see him shirtless. Um, <laughs> I don't have that much to say about the Tibby storyline. I have, I have like, things to say about Carmen. I think the one thing that I didn't love in Carmen's storyline... So I actually, I don't have a problem with her getting depressed because she feels out of touch with her friends. I actually thought that was handled okay. 
Um, I liked the sort of tension between Lena being like, well, I emailed and Carmen being like, an email isn't real communication because that's like that to me is like a very real kind of friendship conflict Mm -hmm. dynamic thing where it's like you're figuring out what counts as communication for people and what people need to feel heard and to feel seen. I found it more believable than just Carmen is jealous of her new baby brother, which is kind of how it's played in the books. But what I didn't love is that they took Julia's whole abusive friendship storyline and turned it almost entirely into competition over a guy. Um, Yeah. And I really felt like that did a disservice to a storyline that's quite good. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the one kind of major change that I didn't like. Like, I liked a lot of the plot summary. I liked a lot of the, like mashing things up um I actually thought Bridget's storyline was handled quite well but like it just felt like such a disservice to make it Julia's jealous about a guy and makes Carmen jealous about a guy and because Carmen's not the type to just like Mm -hmm. be like oh you went out to dinner with him okay I guess it's over like Carmen's the type to be like okay I'm gonna put on something really hot the next time I see him yeah I I liked like, I also think that the way they set up the, like, Carmen being depressed was better in the movie. Like, more believable that it was, like, because she was feeling shut out by her friends rather than just, like, because college is hard? Question mark? Like, I think that made more sense with her character and stuff. I, yeah, I also did not like that they made it just, like, instead of, like, Julia sabotaging her on purpose well I mean Julia's still sabotaging her on purpose but like in a very different and like pettier way that I feel like Carmen would have seen through Mm -hmm. well for sure especially because the friendship between Julia and Carmen in the books is such a contrast to this actual sisterhood that she has right that's the whole isn't that the goal of that relationship a little bit is to also make the original friendship looks so powerful. But once again, mm-hmm. we're pitting woman against woman and we're centering it around a guy. Like, it's actually cool in the book that Julia is actually very close to most people I went to theater school with and, you know, has those insecurities and takes them out on, in her friendship because her friendship is the only place that she sees that she can. And... Mm-hmm. exploring that would have been so interesting and kind of revolutionary you know like and there are parts of me that wonder because the movie came out in 2008 and like the beginning of the goop domination of the world and you know this this live laugh love kind of white feminism that peaked is this idea that like I don't think Amber Tamblyn would have been okay with having a huge storyline about uh, because she writes a lot of feminist poetry that I checked out a little bit before we recorded. But I don't think she would have been okay with uh, Tibby really wavering with emotion. She would have been like, yeah, Tibby's too young. She's just going to go get an abortion. It'll be no big deal. Um, And Brian will hang out and they'll have snacks and uh, they'll use condoms next time. You know, kind of thing like there's there's. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's this like interesting combination that of feminism that wasn't present in the books that then gets to come out in in the story. There's more of an emphasis on their relationship, on them actually trying to say things and showing up for one another, etc. Which from yeah, which we were all kind of struggling with in the books. So that was pretty cool. Okay, should we talk about? Can we talk about the the candles in uh, Lena and Leo? 
<laughs> we, yeah, we are speeding through. But yes, let's talk about Lino and Lino, Lino and Lino, Lino. And I, 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 I appreciated Jesse Williams sighting. Oh, yeah. All I want is for Jesse Williams to feed me in a beautiful kitchen. <laughs> that was a fun fantasy, which I appreciated being invited into. Yes. I do think that he is like the best casting of the whole series. Absolutely. It, well, maybe America Ferrera. Oh, America, America Ferrera also. Yeah, like very, very good. But in terms of being like exactly what I pictured, like, yeah. Yeah, he's they did good. They did real good. Also, he takes off his shirt so often in this in this movie. It's kind <laughs> of great. Um, and I had a serious issue with uh, the bringing back of early 2000 candles <laughs> uh, on the rooftop when they have their meal date sexy time it's just like who has so many like cloths and like tie-dye just like tablecloths and candles and flowers when you're like 19 20 21 maybe max I was like, this is such a lie. Oh, my God. Uh, it is really, really romanticizing things in a way that is not at all attainable for 19-year-olds. And I don't want them to think that having sex means needing candlelit things. Because the truth of the matter is you're going to get wax in your hair or other places. <laughs> and at some point it's going to blow out and you're going to wonder like oh what's the smell and it interrupts it's just it's not sexy. It's <laughs> not sexy. And I know they were trying to make it look like Santorini so that she could feel at home and open to be vulnerable like when she goes to Costas in her white nightgown. But like come on. <clears throat> I feel like it would have made more sense if Leo still lived with his mom like in the book. And if it was mm -hmm. like, okay, I raided my mom's like beautiful batik tablecloths mm -hmm. and her stash of bath candles, you know, but mm -hmm. they didn't have that. But I will say I did not have that many candles in 2008. I think I did have that many textiles. <laughs> I had I had many textiles and embroidered like like mirrored pillows hmm. and stuff in 2008. So that's pretty cool. That is that. Yeah. But my, my parents were hippies, so maybe that's just in my DNA. <laughs> I had, like, two Indian bedspreads that I, like, hung up on my wall, like, over my bed. You know, we oh, all did that in no. 2008. You have the, like, fabric draped over your bed, and then you have a billion throw pillows. Oh, God, yes. I hate that time of my life. It's embarrassing. Yeah, but we were all... This is what this is about. We all did it. <laughs> oh. So many things from India... Yeah, like trinkets and oh my god that none of yeah. it was paid to people in India <laughs> just and Jesse Williams was not included no 2008 loved its uh, orientalism yep. that's a very good point <laughs> sure did yep. and like all of the 2000s really if we think about like Gwen Stefani yeah. and mm. like Madonna. Yeah, the 2000s generally, <laughs> not just 2008. Yeah, so what we're saying is the whites were whiting in 2008. Yeah. You mean the whites have never stopped? <laughs> anyway. You said it, not me. Everything's okay. Yeah, I can say it because I'm white. <laughs> um, okay, so wait. We have covered five books, two movies. How do we feel? 
Like I, I feel like I have some opinions left that I that I would like to air. Yeah. Well, we haven't. We also haven't talked about Bridget even a little bit. Yes. <laughs> but air, air your opinions. Very, Bailey. very pleased in this book that. Um, so I have. I mean, I just have some rapid fire opinions about Bridget in this okay. book. Um, one, I was very pleased that they made her professor. Uh, not a creepy man who has a crush on her and mm-hmm. is very inappropriate. Mm-hmm. I was extremely happy about that. I don't understand why they even included the Greta storyline because I don't think it did anything. And also, I hated the Greta casting. Oh my god, yes, it terrible accent. She sounded uh, like she was trying to be Scarlett O'Hara. It's Gwyneth Paltrow's mom. Is it? Yes. It all makes sense. <laughs> yeah it made me very upset i did not like it um also and this is in the first movie too but like the discourse around mental health in these movies (laughs) makes me very mad what bailey you don't think that you know if you're depressed but you're strong enough then you won't die of depression is that like that people who who yeah, anyway. Yes, the narrative. I'm trying to think of a way to say this that is not just hellishly problematic because the whole concept is hellishly problematic and yeah. I don't even want to say it as a joke. There's yeah. this there's this storyline in both movies and in the books as well of like, oh, Bridget, sure you have mental health struggles like your mom, but don't worry about going to therapy, getting on medication, going through like occupational therapy, finding ways to cope with the bipolar disorder that runs in your family instead know that you are strong enough yeah it's white feminism so <laughs> it's, like, a goop it's candle. Book, but i feel like it's even more like blatantly stated in the movies and it just makes me very angry 100 percent in support of this statement those are my opinions about bridget <laughs> yeah uh, it made me really angry. I also, this was like a subtle thing. So maybe it's just me picking up on a little too much. But I felt like the first shot where they show her dad, like with his belly out, eating pizza at the kitchen table. I was like, oh, they couldn't make Blake Lively get fat, but they still wanted to have sad fatness in this storyline. I'm so happy Oof. they didn't put her in a fat suit. Because I wondered. I remember, like, this was around the years Tyra had did, done this, and it was so problematic. And it was one of those things where I was like, if they make this pretty woman ugly for the sake of telling us that she gained 12 pounds, I'm going to beat someone up. <laughs> um, but thank goodness they didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, thank goodness they skipped over that whole thing. Yeah. I have an issue with Blake Lively, and I don't know what it is. And I like, you know, yes, she looks like the wife of the clan member, but like she just she makes me she she really triggers things. I think it's because like she feels she has the casting of the meanest of the mean girls. Mm. Mm. And uh, I think seeing her play someone like Bridget, who's supposed to be so sensitive and hurt and like just a big walking vulnerability. I'm like, man, the way you look, you had to be the pretty girl at school. And there is no way that you were like the benevolent pretty girl, or at least not to try to get something out of it. So I haven't watched Gossip Girl, which is like 
Blake Lively's mm-hmm. big thing where she plays a terrible rich person. Mm-hmm. So I've only seen Blake Lively in this role. Mm-hmm. Fair. Me too. And I like her in this role. Actually, as casting, like, I find that she does have a, a sensitivity and just kind of a, like, fun jock energy that works very well. But she's absolutely the, like, she's very pretty. Yes. Like, like Blake Lively is much prettier than Alexis Bledel. And I'm, I'm sorry to just, like, say that and put that out there into the world because I think ranking people's beauty sucks. But, like, I do think that in terms of casting, if Alina is supposed to be the, like, breathtaking, stunning one, you, you can't cast Blake Lively in that unless you're casting, like, Megan Fox as Lena. You know, you need somebody who's, like, equal levels of hot and Alexis Bledel is not sexy she's cute she's pretty but like she she is a little porcelain trinket and god I feel bad I always feel so bad I'm like I know actors are people I am I'm real sorry Alexis I'm sure you're a nice person I'm sure you're not listening to our podcast because you're (laughs) off having a nice life with Pete from Mad Men but uh, (laughs) I just that's a name anymore Vincent Kartheiser. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just doesn't that like that was the issue I had with Alexis Bledel's casting because I was like, Lena's entire thing is that she's extremely pretty. You could have put somebody mm-hmm. who couldn't act in that role because she doesn't have to act, which also sucks. But anyway, that's my issue with Blake Lively as as Bridget is just that she is so pretty <laughs> and like. Bridget's whole thing is supposed to be that she's not remarkably pretty, but she has really stunning hair. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I'm sort of like, I get it because I do think that Blake Lively has Bridget energy. But I also think it, if Lena's whole thing is that she's pretty and sexy, but she also does art. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. (laughs) She said, oh my God. (laughs) The funniest thing, the funniest thing about these movies, the funniest thing to me is that. Lena is a very bad artist. She's real sucky. And every time we see her sketches, it's just like, like it just looks like somebody's like traced a magazine ad. Yeah, it's she, real bad. And, and like she's in Santorini, she's supposed to be painting the light, and she's doing these, these just terrible, terrible pencil drawings, terrible pencil sketches, and like yeah. With Gustus's nipples. Thank you. I was waiting for you to bring up the nipples. I feel like this should be the image to present this week's show because this image of man reclining with nipples exposed and with like the largest nipples. And it's it's just the bad sketching that makes them so prominent because they have these like it's like maybe he just has maybe he just had top surgery recently. We don't know Custis's history, but there's just these like great big hard outline circles around his like areola. larger than average areola, which like some people have larger than average areola. That's okay, but like, but then there's shading on the rest of his body, and there's no shading on his nipples. So he <laughs> he just has these big mommy milkers, and it's just like. It's problematic. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, Lena being a bad artist reminds me of another thing, which is in the intro to the first movie, they're going through the foursome and you have Carmen narrating and she's like, Lena, the artist, Tibby, the filmmaker. 
B, the jock. And then because they don't want to vocalize that in the books, it's just Carmen, <laughs> the woman of color. Um, she says, and me, the writer. And then it is never mentioned again. Never once. <laughs> and then she becomes an actor. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, okay. Before we wrap this up, I have one tidbit of information. Did yes. you know that there are currently plans for a third Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants Ooh, movie? They're making, they're making Manic Pixie Dead Girl? Uh-huh. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Do you know when it's coming out? Uh, I don't. It seems to be in pre-production from uh, my little bit of internet research and uh, more info to come. This would be scandalously bad i think and i can't wait to watch it it's gonna yes. oh my god i'm so excited oh my god oh my god so when they got off the boat in santorini in the second movie i just looked at tibby and i thought this is where you die <laughs> <laughs> wow and then i got really like then i got really creeped out because i was like she doesn't know that. <laughs> it's foreshadowing. That's why they put her there. Oh, my God. All right. Well, that's going to be fun. So, folks, stay tuned because you know we're going <laughs> to review that. You know that's coming at you. You're going to have to live through it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, so concludes. In, yes, yeah, so concludes a summer of traveling pants. Get Jean. We did it. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at yapodcast. And individually, I'm at thebalesosaurus. I'm at tefferbear. And I'm at caddy double underscore D. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, and I like I hope you like it because you're listening. So like, I don't know. If you hate it and want to help us make it even better, this also works consider supporting us on patreon you can get all kinds of great perks including early access to bonus content shout outs guest appearances and more this is the last week for you to get the special perk of making us release embarrassing high school things it's the last week do it come on you can you can register at a very low amount it is like a dollar and some cents Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to do that. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Rushy, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenho, Chantal Thomas, Maddie Dever, Megan Jane, Emily Patton, and Emmett Cameron, who has a new podcast out actually now hey, about hey. Satanism. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> or about the satanic panic, I should say. <laughs> it's like a little different. Mm. <laughs> well, we have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you want to reminisce with uh, early 2000s fashion over. Maybe with somebody who's a terrible artist. <laughs> <laughs> Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. The people behind Great Bear also have a new album out as the Faux Paws. The Faux Paws. Yes, Faux as in F-A-U-X. It's very good. I've listened to it. You should check it out too. Sweet. 
Sweet. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. Hi, I'm Anthony Giorgio, host and producer of Queer Teen Podcast. Queer Teen Podcast encourages the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Listen, learn, and love as you get to know the next queer youth leaders of the world. Queer Teen Podcast celebrates, elevates, and narrates how the LGBTQ plus community uses our voices to tell our stories. You can find Queer Teen Podcasts on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And please, please, please subscribe today. And don't forget to listen, learn, and love. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.